The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net. Our scripture for this morning comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. If you're reading from the Black Bible on the chair in front of you, it's on page 1022. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Delta. How are you doing? Father's Day. Meat prepped, ready for the grill. Anybody? Yeah, we got one, Dan Luce. Man, I know that brother right there would be, would be going that route this morning. I, I really hope that um, you have some good stuff set aside today for your father um, in a way to just celebrate him um, that today. Um, being a father is hard. It's not easy being a father. Um, but during this time here, what we're going to hopefully do is turn our attention to the Scriptures and be able to concentrate on God our Father so that way we can ultimately see the model of what fatherhood looks like. I'm I'm appreciative of what John prayed today. We're going to see some truths, I think, that will equip us today, equip fathers today, and just equip Christians in general today um, from 1 John chapter 3. What we're going to see this morning is this idea, cures for a condemning heart. Um, All of us at some point in time in our walk in Christ are going to come to that place in time where we find ourselves struggling with doubt, struggling with a heart that accuses us, a heart that condemns us. And this morning, John is going to show us from these handful of verses the cure which is rooted and grounded in the gospel of Christ, two cures that come to us from Scripture for a condemning heart when we find ourselves in the place where our hearts are condemning us before the Father. So let's hit pause, let's pray, and then we'll dig into our Scripture this morning, okay? Father, my prayer is that you would do a great work this morning in helping us see Jesus and treasure Jesus more as a result of hearing these words. Father, our desire is to not walk away just merely having heard the word, but that we would be so transformed by the word that we would leave as doers of the word. God, our aim this morning is for you to send the Holy Spirit and transform our hearts so that we will be affected in such a way that when we leave here, we would go out these doors as men and women equipped to be gospel witnesses as a result of hearing the proclamation of Jesus Christ. We pray this in his mighty name. Amen. So whether it's by mail, email, or whether it's by text message, sometimes it happens by phone call, these are all different ways that you and I can receive a confirmation whenever we have purchased something online. 
So just the other day, I purchased some books from Amazon. If you don't know Amazon and you're not an Amazon Prime member, this is free advertising for them. I highly recommend it. Um, if you don't buy your books through Amazon, I highly recommend that. I'm an avid book shopper on Amazon.com. And so the other day, I went and bought some books. And right after I did so, what happened was immediately in my email, in my inbox, I had a confirmation email from Amazon which said, hey, just, just rest assured you need to know this, we have your order. Um, and then soon after that, later that day, I even received a confirmation email. They followed up and said, not only do we have your order, but we have actually now shipped your order. And then a couple days later, I received a confirmation text message. I heard a knock at the door. It was the beloved, precious UPS man dropping off that box. And I went outside and picked it up, and almost immediately, by the time he got out to the truck, he tapped something, it went off into cyberspace, and then a text message came screaming into my phone, which said, hey, by the way, we just want you to know we are confirming that your box of books has just been dropped off. It's been delivered. Now, I don't know about you, but I, for one, love this idea of that kind of confirmation. I like being in the know when it comes to these sorts of things. I like knowing that Amazon had received my order, that they had shipped my order, and that they had dropped off my order. This brought a peace of mind to me. I liked this kind of confirmation. So that if along that purchasing process, from the moment I clicked purchase to the moment that the UPS man was handing me that box, if I ever had any doubt about my purchase along the way, Amazon was there with repeated confirmations, turning any doubt I might have into assurance. Hey, we've received your order, we've shipped your order, you've received your order, these sorts of things. So their confirmation not only brought me a peace of mind, but it wound up actually giving me a confidence. Like, these guys know what they're doing. Um, I can rest assured I really don't have to have these kinds of doubts when it comes to purchasing something through Amazon. Now, when we turn our attention to the Apostle John's letter, this first letter, we at Delta have been working through this first letter. We find ourselves in chapter 3, verses 19 through 24. And we turn to our text this morning, what we're going to see is that the Apostle John is giving us something like a confirmation email when it comes to the idea of assurance. He's going to show us and confirm for us that it is possible to know that we are of the truth, which is code language for him saying, you can know that you're in Christ, that you have genuine salvation, you can know that you are of the truth. And he says it's this way. And by this, that we shall know that we are of the truth. When our love for fellow believers is not only in word or talk, but in deed and truth. And so John last week, he went really high, really big on this kind of language. That's what he said at the very end of verse 18. When we were talking about this idea of love leading to action, the love we've experienced in the Father shown to us through the person of Jesus Christ, when we know this saving kind of love in an intimate relationship with the Father, the Apostle John says it will inevitably work itself out in everyday life, specifically towards other brothers and sisters in Christ. So he summed up last week by saying this, Listen, let's not just be a people who are consumed with love that is just merely talk, merely word. Let's let our love be consumed with, yes, word and talk, but more specifically in deed and truth, in action, in sincerity. 
And when he rolls into verse 19 today, he says, now listen, if you want to know that you are of the truth, ask yourself this question. Is your life marked by deed and truth modeled after the example of Jesus Christ? We can know that we are of the truth. We can be confirmed that we are of the truth when our lives are characterized by loving believers in truth. But the question that John is going to tackle this morning, the question that seems to just be lingering behind his motivation for writing these verses, 19 through 24, seems to be a question that isn't real explicit, but I think it's implicit in the verses. Because he's saying this, verse 18, listen, if you want to know, if you want to be assured, if you want to be confirmed that you are of the truth, look, does your life and does your love for the brothers, do they interconnect? Are you loving in deed and in truth? If you are loving in deed and truth, then you can rest assured and be confirmed you are of the truth. But the question comes down to this, what are we to do when we lack this kind of confirmation? What happens when we lift our eyes and go like, I just see a test that John just gave us. Remember, 1 John is a letter of tests, belief tests, obedience tests, love tests. He says you can know, you can be assured that you have eternal life. Just run your life against the grid of what it looks like to be in Christ. You will see inevitably these sort of visible things in your life. And so sometimes what we do is we look And we say, man, I see this test. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. But let's just be honest. There's times in our lives when we don't quite love in deed and in truth. And when we see these realities in our life, the question that I have asked myself before, the question that some of you might be asking yourself right now is this. What are we to do when we lack this kind of confirmation that John is talking about at the very beginning of verse 19? What are we to do when our heart condemns us and assurance seems like a million miles away? How are we to think when our head is on our pillow at night and that condemning voice begins to torture us with a laundry list of sin, reminding us of our defeats, reminding us of our shortcomings, reminding us how we don't obey as well as we ought to, how we don't love other brothers and sisters in Christ as we ought to, how we don't believe rightly as we ought to. And there's just that little nagging voice, that inside conscience, that heart that is just whispering to you, just saying things and condemning and accusing and condemning and accusing. When our hearts are burdened and all we can see is failure, in those moments, what hope, what cure do you and I have at our disposal for a condemning heart? Well, I'm glad you're asking these questions because I believe that John is going to to answer these questions this morning. In the flow of his letter, verses 19 through 24 are a pause. They're just a little side tangent. Remember, the last half of his letter is consumed with the idea of God is love and what does that mean for us, the practical implications. Right now, what he's doing, he's hitting pause and he's going to say, hey, listen, let's talk about this idea of assurance. He's going to work through and I think answer these very questions. John is going to show us that when our hearts condemn us, God is going to use, God will use biblical truth 
And God will use the gift of his spirit to provide assurance that we belong to God. Listen, when our hearts condemn us, God uses biblical truth and the gift of his spirit to provide assurance that we belong to God. Now, for most of us here, we've found ourselves in a place of doubt before. When it comes to our spiritual walk, there's been those moments or maybe there's been those seasons where it's just like, man, like I see what like the plumb line of Scripture is. Like I sort of see these tests that the Apostle John is talking about. But like when I take my life and I lay it over the grid of Scripture, what seems to happen is like my life is askew. It's not not quite lining up with the plumb line of Scripture. And some of you might just be especially in this place after reading these first three chapters of 1 John we've been working through. Over and over again, John paints with the colors of black and white. And he's just been very simple. He's like, listen, you're either here or you're here. You're either here or you're here. Either believing this or you're not believing this. And these become the plumb lines of Scripture for us to know whether or not we are truly in Christ. And some of you might be reading this going, man, like my, my, I, my soul is sensitive, my heart is condemning, it's already accused, like I'm not perfect, and like I don't know how to think about this. And John's like, well, okay, let, let's just hit pause and let's just think, what does it look like to find assurance even in the midst of all these tests we've been taking from this letter? The Apostle John has been challenging us very straightforward, very deep and penetrating questions. John's like a spiritual surgeon. And he's been using the scalpel of God's word to lay open our hearts. And now that he's done so for nearly three straight chapters, like any good surgeon, John is now going to administer a dose of curing medicine. And in this case... It is going to be the curing medicine of assurance, which is grounded in a knowledge of God. Look at your copy of Scripture, phone, iPad, whether it's that hardback, black Bible around you. Look what John writes in verse 19 and 20. He says this, By this we shall know that we are of the truth. And we shall reassure our heart before him. There's that reassurance language. For whenever our heart condemns us, something we all go through, notice he doesn't say, if our heart condemns us, or for some of you lesser freshman squad Christians who experience heart condemnation, he says, no, whenever, he's giving us a category that this is something that we all struggle with, whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. It's in these verses we're going to see is this, that God's children have two cures for a condemning heart. They have two cures for a condemning heart. So in those moments of self-condemnation, our tendency is to look within ourselves thinking that we will find the cure for a condemning heart. My heart's condemning, so what we do is we're prone to navel-gaze. We look inward, and what we do is we begin to just put all of our energy, all of our attention, all of our focus on the things of the heart. Thinking that when we do that, when our heart is condemning us, what we'll hopefully find is an answer within our heart for our condemning heart. But the Apostle John knew to be true what the prophet Jeremiah wrote concerning the heart. Namely, that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it, he says. 
For John, the cure for a condemning heart does not come by focusing inward. The curing medicine of assurance is actually found when we set our focus outward on who God is and what he is doing in our lives. It's so counter to what we tend to do. Heart condemning. It's accusing. And so what we tend to do is just take all energy and focus and go inward. But John is saying, no, lift your eyes. Look outwardly to the realities of who God is. What characteristics qualify him and what he's doing in your life. That is where you're going to find the answer, the cure for a heart that condemns. So when we love one another in deed and in truth... This reassures our hearts before God that we are of the truth. Verse 18. One sign that you've been born of God, that you have been born again, is this, as if you love the children of God and that love is reflected in visible outward sacrifice for them. Whole sermon last week. So when the existence of this kind of love is present in your life, love which shows itself in deed and in truth, it is evidence that you are of the truth. Again, notice that John's first dose of curing medicine isn't found by mere inward reflection. John doesn't say, friend, look inward and trust your heart. Just trust it. It'll lead you well. He's like, no, like, listen, like, my heart's the problem. Like, don't tell me to look inward to my heart. My heart is condemning me. Rather, he says, no, look outward and see how God's love has radically changed your life. Do you see how your love for others looks like Jesus' example of love for others? And if you do, then good. Let this reality reassure your heart before God. Again, I don't want to re-preach last week's sermon, but the idea wrapped up in verses 11 through 18 is it's only the people truly born of God who love like this. So if you see this reality in your life, take heart. Reassure yourself, heart. Look around at the outward evidence of what God has been doing within you and be glad be reassured before the father this evidence out here is a sign that god has actually done a regenerating work within you but john also gives us a a second cure the first cure is this sincere love for fellow believers is one way that god reassures our heart that we truly belong to him that's verse 8, 19 but verse 20 is the second cure He gives us a second cure when he shows us that truth about God is another way God reassures our hearts that we belong to him. It's like John is saying, look outwardly at the evidence. Is your life giving evidence of true and genuine heart-changed regeneration, born again from above by the Spirit? Yes, it is. He says, Cure number one, grip onto that and recognize this. Preach to your heart this reality. The things that God are doing in your life are meant to reassure you before the Father. Second thing he says this, don't just merely look outwardly at the evidence of a regenerate life, but now look heavenly towards the Father. Look at who he is. Look at his nature. Look what he is about. The second cure, which John gives us, is that he shows us that truth about God is another way that God reassures our hearts that we belong to him. 
Listen, just at times our hearts condemn us. I said this earlier. John doesn't say if, when. Like if you're a really awful Christian, like you're going to be the one struggling with this. He says, no, whenever. Like when this happens to you, it carries with it the tenor and the tone of inevitability. This is unavoidably going to happen to you at some point in time from the moment of your salvation to the moment of your death or Jesus comes riding on the clouds. Somewhere in this span of time, you will find yourself owning verse 20 as your reality. And so we must recognize that at times our hearts will condemn us. It stands like an accuser at a trial, shouting accusation, screaming condemnation. It's sort of like a courtroom trial where where God is the judge and we are the defendant. And then what you have is, is our heart and it's standing there like an accuser. He's pointing its fingers at us and just screaming and shouting at us saying, No, you were guilty. You were condemned. You were accused before the Father. And our heart is accusing of us all the ways that we have failed the Apostle John's three tests. Belief tests. What we're supposed to do is believe rightly about who Jesus Christ is. The false teachers were not doing this. John says, you know you're in the faith if you are doing this. But listen, there's just times when we just doubt. Sometimes we doubt this realities of Christ and His Word and who the Father is. The obedience test is your life marked by keeping his commands, practicing righteousness. And then we look at our life and go, that's not the case sometimes. That's just simply not the case sometimes. Sometimes I disobey. Then we look at the love test, the way that we know this vertical love from the Father to us through Christ and the way it's supposed to work itself out on the horizontal planes of life, sometimes we just look up and go like, man, like, I've just, I didn't really love in this situation. I found myself hating and like, I don't even know where that like desire came from. Like it just sort of spewed out of me, like seemingly out of nowhere. And like, I didn't extend Christ-like love modeled after Jesus to this person. And in these moments of heart condemnation, when the heart seems like, yeah, here I am, man. I'm going to accuse you. I'm going to condemn you. Look how bad you are compared to what you know to be true. What do we do in those moments? Well, notice what John does not do. He doesn't call us to look inward for an answer against the accusations of our heart. He doesn't call us to look inward against the accusations of the heart. He doesn't dole out a dose of Pinocchio theology where he tells us to let our conscience be our guide. Instead, he calls us to set our mind on the truth of who God is. God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. For John, the thing which overrides a condemning heart is the greatness and omniscience of God. Now listen, there's just times when our heart rightly condemns and our heart rightly judges us, like when we've truly sinned against God. A regenerate heart, when we stumble into sin, a regenerate heart is going to justly, rightly judge us and say, listen, like that thing you just did, that thing you just thought, that thing you just spoke, no fly zone. You're in Christ. So there's times when our heart's going to rightly rise up, condemn, 
accuse, judge, let us know, like, hey, that thing that just happened, not good. Like, we're in, we're in the mode where we need to repent right now and confess. This is a good thing that the heart does. It's a right thing that the heart does. In those moments when our conscience, when our heart calls us out for our sin, it is a sign that we've been born of God. Listen, if you're just sinning like crazy and you feel no condemnation, no accusation, no guilt, no remorse, there might be a decent chance. Let's take out the word might. There is a really good chance. Let's take out the word really. There's just that you're just not regenerate. Why? Because you're, you're operating in such a way to where you're going about life going, I see the things that are opposite of God, and I'm just simply choosing to delight in them and to do whatever I want to do. And I feel no guilt or remorse that I'm sinning against a holy God. The people who are born again are the ones who have hearts awakened to this reality. In those moments when our conscience calls us out for our sin, it is a sign that we have actually been born from above. But the Bible also has a category for our heart being too severe, and it can condemn us unjustly. And I think that's the idea that John is driving at here in verse 20. Whenever our heart condemns us, I think the implication of this is when it condemns us unjustly. So even though Jesus has forgiven us of all of our sins by his work on the cross, you and I may still experience a condemning heart, and this is something the great and omniscient God does not want us to have. So when our heart sends us on a guilt trip, what are we to do? John says, look to the God who is greater than your vacillating heart and who assures us of our complete forgiveness in Jesus Christ. God is greater than all, and he knows all. For someone who is lost at sea, what they need is someone who knows exactly where they are and who is greater than their situation who can come to the rescue. When you're lost at sea, like you're just adrift, you have no clue where you're at, and you're so helpless in that situation because you're like, I know my situation really well but like I'm stuck in this situation. I need someone who is more superior, more powerful, someone who knows exactly where I'm at and then not only knows exactly where I'm at, but has the ability to come and rescue me, exerting the power they have over this situation to come and rescue me from this situation. And when you and I find ourselves lost at sea on an ocean of condemnation, what we need is someone who knows everything and who is greater than our condemning heart, which is threatening to undo us. And the promise of this verse is that God the Father is this person. He sees, he knows, and he has the power to speak a quieting word to our condemning heart, reminding us that there is now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. I can remember battling something like this, this whole idea of verse 19 and 20. Battling this whole idea of when our heart condemns us back in 2008, so about eight years ago. For a period of several months, I walked through just a very, very dark night of the soul where the clouds of condemnation just descended on my heart and they just, they just wouldn't seem to lift. 
And through it all, God was very faithful. And in the end, the thing which buoyed my heart through those dark days were three verses from John chapter 6. Like, that, that was all I had. I mean, this was like nights of weeping, nights of sprawled out on the living room floor. This was just like a heavy, dense, condemnatory fog that just descended on my soul. And like, it just would not, would not lift. Asking questions, reading things like this, going like, man, like I see the grid of Scripture. I don't see this in my life. Like, does that mean I'm saved? I'm not saved. Like, what's going on here? Like, and it just wasn't a quick thing. I mean, multiple months of just trying to swim through this, live through this. Like that, that example of being out in an ocean, man. It was just like literally I was adrift and just, you know, the, the current of the ocean was just like just, just throwing me here and there and everywhere. And it's like what, like what is my hope of being able to survive this dark night of the soul? And when it all boiled down, there was just three verses from John chapter 6 which became very precious to me. It's an interaction in that chapter where Jesus is talking to the 12 disciples. He's just, been, he's just gotten done t- giving a very, very hard teaching. A lot of people go, like, if this is what you're about, we're out of here. And then he turns and he looks at the 12, the Apostle John says, and he asks them this singular question. Hey, everyone else is bugging out. This is the John Davis paraphrase. Jesus didn't really say everyone else is bugging out. He says, everyone else is bugging out. Then he looks right at him and says, do you want to go away as well. And the words which were life to me in that season were the words of Peter who simply answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And that dark season of the night, man, that phrase, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life were precious to my soul. They fed me and they sustained me. Because in the midst of that dark night, on my knees, face down on the floor, crying out before God, and just enemy accusing, hard accusing, all these things, hey, cash it in, it's easier to just give up. Why does this really matter to you? Why do you care so much? Why are you arguing like this and striving and fighting to see this darkness lift? It would just be easier to just cash in on Christianity. Surely this fog would lift if you just got rid of Jesus. Like all these things from multiple months rolling around in my mind, but the thing that I clung to so tightly was this re-single reality. Lord, where else am I going to go? Like, if I just cash in on this thing, like, what am I going to do? You have the words of eternal life. I have believed, I have come to know you are the Holy One of God. And through that dark season, I clung to these words like a drowning man clings to a life preserver. I preached these words to my condemning heart with tears, prayers, late nights. And through this process, I was able to experience my great and omniscient God apply the curing medicine of assurance which came directly from his word. This is a side note right now. I mean, it's just hitting me in my mind. You have to know the promises of Christ. 
You have to know the promises of Christ. What are you going to do when the dark night of the soul descends and will not lift? Don't look inward to yourself. John is saying in a very real way, lift your eyes to the promises of Christ. Recognize who he is and what he has done for you and cling to these promises in that moment. Preach to yourself the promises of Christ from the word. That is where condemnation and accusation flee as we look to our God. Man, I believe this is exactly what the Apostle John wants us to understand here from these verses. Listen, when we trust the judgment of our heart to our great God who is omniscient about everything, our confidence shifts from being based on our feelings to being based on God's word and what he says about us. That is the beauty of what John is saying here. Listen, feelings are going to come and go. If your confidence tomorrow morning when you wake up, Monday morning, alarm goes, feet hit the bed, if your confidence to go forth and boldly live for Jesus is grounded on how you feel, on Tuesday, you might as well just cash in on Christianity because you're going to wake up and be like, man, it's felt like, I just woke up, I feel like the devil is sitting on my face right now. Like I've got no motivation, no desire, like I just don't feel like it. And if we are driven by our feelings, you're going to find yourself living a wash and a sea, ebb and flow, condemnation and accusation. What John is saying here is this, listen, our confidence is not to rest in our feelings. Our confidence is to be rooted and grounded based on God's word and what he says about us, about who he is. And when this happens, John says, when we grasp the two cures we have for a condemning heart, what we're going to see is that God's children not only have these cures for a condemning heart, but we also see that God's children have the blessings that come to them from an an assured heart. God's children have the blessings that come to them from an assured heart. Look at 21 through 24. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, single commandment, twofold, two sides of this commandment coin. One, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. The second is that we love one another just as he has commanded us. Listen, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God. And we know that God abides in him. Confirmation email number two, last sentence here, verse 24. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So when our great God reminds us of who we are in Christ, that in Jesus we now have no condemnation, One of the natural results is that we will have confidence before God. This is one blessing of an assured heart. This is what John is saying in 21. Listen, when you come to that place and realize, okay, God is greater than my heart. He's greater than this situation. He knows everything about me. John says what we do is we find ourselves in the place where our hearts are not condemned. Translation, they're assured. And when we are assured, verse 21, we have confidence before God. That's blessing number one. But another blessing is that an assured heart also provides motivation and assurance as we approach God the Father in prayer. So it looks like this. No condemnation in Christ. 
leads to confidence before God. And confidence before God emboldens us with the knowledge that whatever we ask, we receive from Him. Now, we're going to unpack this a lot later in John chapter 5, because it looks like John is saying this. Listen, once you find yourself in a place of no condemnation, you have confidence, all of a sudden we can start being like, ask whatever I want and receive it. Yeah, Rolex, new car, job raise, house. And it's like, "Mm, that's not really what John's talking about. I mean, there's a whole sermon there in itself. John is going to recircle to this idea in John chapter 5, 1 John chapter 5. So we will touch on this then. But what you just need to see here this morning is this. Confidence before God absolutely emboldens us with the knowledge that we can come before the Father and and speak to Him and ask things of Him and receive from Him. It emboldens us to pray. Charles Wesley captures this idea well in one of his hymns when he wrote, No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in Him is mine. Alive in him, my living head, and clothed in righteousness divine. So that's that no condemnation language. Like, listen, my heart's not condemning. I know who I am in Christ. I have confidence before God. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. I'm alive in him. He's my living head. I'm clothed in righteousness divine. And Wesley goes on to say, listen, because this is true, bold now I approach the eternal throne. And I claim the crown through Christ my own. Confidence in the reality that we are not condemned in Christ frees us and emboldens us to go to the Father and to pray to Him. Confidence before God grounded in the gospel of Jesus Christ is the fuel for bold prayer. And this confidence isn't born out of arrogance. It's a twofold confidence, one which rests in God's love for us and one which comes as a result of keeping his commandments and doing what pleases him, he says at the end of verse 22. Believers with clear consciences, confident access, and obedient lives that please Jesus are assured that God will hear and answer their prayers for their good and for his glory. So the question then becomes, well, I mean, like, listen, if it's keeping his commandments and doing what pleases him, like, give it to me, man. What, what does this look like? And John goes, it looks like this. The commandments, let's boil them down to one. Verse 23. When we find ourselves saying, well, what command must I keep in order to do what pleases God so that I may receive from him when I ask in prayer? John says, listen, this one command, let's boil it down. One command, two parts. This is the commandment that we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He commanded us. As one pastor put it, the one all-embracing commandment of this letter, the letter of 1 John, boils down to this, that we believe and that we love. That's exactly what John just said there in verse 23. Do you want to keep His commandments and do what pleases Him? Ask yourself this, am I consumed, is my life marked by, do my actions, thoughts, and words, are they characterized by this commandment found in verse 23, where I am believing rightly in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ, and this right belief, this faith, becomes the fuel which works itself out in everyday life as I love one another. See, all people everywhere are commanded to believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. 
They are to place their trust in him alone and all that he is, the divine son, the incarnate deity, the sinless human, the perfect atonement for their sin, the messianic savior. And they are simultaneously commanded to love one another following the example of Jesus. In the end, John shows us that an assured heart not only believes rightly concerning Jesus, but loves others as commanded by Jesus. And John says, when we find this to be true in our lives, then we can once again be assured that we abide in God and know that the Spirit of God abides in us. So the inevitable question that we have to ask when we work through verses like this is just, how do we respond? So what? What does this mean for me? It's Father's Day. And so what I want us to do is to approach these scriptures through this grid of, of Father's Day. And if you're a father here this morning, whether you're a grandfather who has grandchildren, a spiritual father raising up spiritual sons and daughters in Christ, maybe you're not able to have children of your own like John addressed this morning, but what you are doing is giving yourselves over to discipling other men in the faith. You're raising them up. Or maybe you've got just little ones in your home and you're a spiritual father in that sense, and you're raising up little ones as a spiritual father as a, and as their earthly father. But we must recognize that in these situations... If you're a father here this morning, is that for those of us, us fathers, who are in Christ, we are not only fathers, but we are also children. As earthly fathers, we're not just earthly fathers. If we are in Christ, we are children of God. And one of the greatest disservices that we fathers could possibly ever do for our families is to somehow convey to them the possibilities of a Christian life which is opposite of all that we have just seen. To somehow live life in such a way where we approach them and go, listen, like I don't really need to bank on this reality that God is greater than my heart. I don't need to walk in such a way where I have confidence before God because I actually have confidence in myself. I don't need to give myself over to prayer because I have confidence in my ability to get things done. To somehow live a life that is void of belief and rest in the, in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. A life that is void of love for one another. A life that is just a void of what seems to be like spiritless living. We, we do a disservice for our families, men, when we find ourselves in this place. Because what we're basically showing them is life The Christian life can be accomplished by mere self-reliance and void of anything that looks like Christ-reliance. And we are not called as men of God, as fathers, to live this way. We must recognize that fatherhood is tough. Satan is the father of lies, and his greatest joy is derived from accusing and condemning the hearts of earthly fathers who are genuine, born-again children of God. But in those moments when our hearts condemn us, may we remember that God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. My hope for us is that this morning we would see clearly and experience deeply the confidence which comes from an assured heart before God. That we would know the assurance that can be ours as children of God. 
More than anything, what our families and our children need from us is to see men who boldly lead from a place of spirit-filled assurance. To see men who are convinced that God is greater than our heart. To see fathers who know how to fight a condemning heart, not with self-reliance, but with Christ-reliance. Our families need to see fathers set free in Christ, confident before God and bold in prayer, to see men who delight in God's commandments and are happy to do whatever it takes to please God and to lay down ourselves and not give ourselves over to the mere pleasure of us. What they need to see are men who take the command to believe Jesus and love others seriously as the motto of their life. What our culture needs, what the church needs, what our families need are spirit-filled, Christ-assured, confident men who are convinced at the very core of their being that a life lived for Jesus is worth it. And guess what? You can't do that on your own. But praise be to God for the good news of grace. Because tomorrow morning you're going to get up and you're going to get fired up and you're going to hear these things and I say, I'm going to go out and do it and your head's going to lift off the pillow, your feet are going to hit the ground and what are you going to do? You're going to fail in every one of these ways. What are you going to do in that moment? John says, don't curl in on yourself. Don't don't fall to the corner and start sucking your thumb and give yourself over to self-pity. No, he says, lift your eyes when your heart condemns. And look to the God who is greater than your heart. Look to his son who has saved you. He knows everything. He knows the motivations and the desires of your heart. Flee to him. Rest in him. And trust in him. So if you're a father here this morning, this is my prayer for you. That these words from the apostle John, that they would genuinely be words of encouragement for you in these matters. So, Father, perhaps you're here this morning and your heart is condemning. You're like, man, verse 20, like that's what I ate for this morning. I had, I had a bowl of Wheaties and I ate this verse this morning. Like, this is me. Whenever our hearts condemn us, it's not whenever, it's like right now. My heart is condemning. I find myself in the thick of a season that is defined with these words. Perhaps your heart is condemning you this morning. And, And if so, don't wallow in self-pity. I beg and I plead with you, rather lead from this place. Model your family, model for them what it looks like to preach Jesus to yourself and apply the gospel to yourself even from the midst of this hard place. I'm telling you, what we as fathers are so prone to do is to commit the sin of Adam. Whenever something goes wrong, we just sort of shrink in and shrivel up into a world of passivity and self-pity. But Christ is the one who is the better Adam. He's the second Adam who showed us what to do in this moment. And what we can do is bank on him, press into him, and lead from a place of confident assurance. Not because we're resting on us, but because we're resting in Jesus. Our families need this modeled for them. And God calls us to lead out in the modeling of this. Or just perhaps you're a father here who finds himself in a place of deep, deep assurance. Where you're like, man, I'm not so much living in verses 19 through 20, but like 21 through 24 were like sweet. It was like honey on my lip. Like I'm living there. Like it's just a sweet season where I'm experiencing and tasting Jesus and just walking in sweet communion. 
You know that you are of the truth, and you know that the Spirit of God abides in you, affirming that you are a genuine child of God. Brothers, just as much as the other fathers need to lead from their place of a condemning heart, what we need is for you to lead from this place of bold assurance as well. Show your family what it looks like to be a man who is confident before God, bold in prayer, and captivated by the gospel of Christ. That will teach and train your children more than any words ever could. But if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your only hope of salvation, my hope is that you would see that there is a cure for your condemning heart as well. John is writing to believers here when he's talking about a condemning heart. But to be in a place where you don't know Jesus is to be in a place where genuine condemnation rests and resides on your heart because you are not in Christ. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your only hope of salvation, my hope is that you would see that there is a cure for your condemning heart as well. And it is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. This morning wasn't just for those of us who are believers. Your response this morning is to look to the words of verse 23 where John calls us, commands us to believe in the name of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's a command that extends to you as one who is outside of Christ right now. The Bible is very clear. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Save the name of Jesus. And for you this morning, your response is to hear the promise of God's word and to respond with obedience, something John has said at the very beginning of the letter. You can know this promise. You can experience this promise this morning. You can walk out of here knowing the realities of a heart that has been justified, not condemned, because you're trusting and resting in Jesus Christ. John said this earlier in his letter. If you confess your sins... Acknowledging that I've got sin. My heart is condemned before the Father. What I'm not going to do is play like those things aren't real. I'm going to stand before the Father and I'm going to confess before the Father. This reality consumes me. I am consumed with a condemning heart that is in full tilt rebellion against God the Father. But I'm not going to hide from this. I'm going to confess my sins. John says when you confess your sins, He, God, is faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why is he faithful and just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness? It's because on the cross, when Jesus Christ died, your sins were completely placed on him. God's justice and wrath didn't magically disappear like some magic card trick. It was poured out in full measure upon Jesus Christ for you. And you can receive and you can believe, trust in him, and know the assurance of a heart that has truly been justified this morning. Let's pray. Father, you are good. (laughs) You are so good. You are precious. You are to be delighted in. You are worthy of all praise, worthy of all honor, worthy of all worship. You are worthy of a life lived in full tilt toward you. God, take these 
words of mine, areas where I've misspoken, areas where I've spoken well, areas where I may have stuttered or didn't present an idea clear. Clear all of that off the the table of our, our heart. And God, would you set down on our hearts in full measure the realities and the goodness of Jesus, all so that we may leave here this morning boasting in the cross of Christ and the realities of Jesus as the Savior who saves sinners. God, come and do this for your name's sake and for your glory. Amen.